So good afternoon. My name is Alina Polyakova. I'm Deputy Director and Senior Fellow here at the Atlantic Council in the Eurasia Center. And it's my pleasure to welcome all of you here, this packed house, uh, to the official launch of RFERLs and VOA's current time network, the first Russian language 24 7 uh, uh, digital network uh, that was softly launched last fall. And now we're delighted to host our, our partners at VOA and RFERL for the formal launch. Uh, I just want to say for those of you who are watching on our live feed, please follow the conversation at uh, handle AC Eurasia, hashtag current time TV. I will only say a few words about our partnership with RFERL. Uh, we're really delighted to be able to host this event together. We've done quite a bit of work uh, to expose disinformation, particularly in Central Eastern Europe, to have those hard conversations about democratic backsliding in the region, and to really think through the many challenges that Europe faces today, and particularly uh, the EU member states of Central Eastern Europe. And I'm really thankful for this partnership and grateful for the opportunity. At the Atlantic Council, we've been working on the topic of Russian influence quite extensively over the last two years. Uh, ever since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we've worked uh, very hard to publish evidence-based research that shows the reality of Russia's military intervention in Ukraine. A report that we published in 2015 called Hiding in Plain Sight, Putin's War in Ukraine, showed us uh, the value of translating all of our hard-hitting research into Russian. Uh, that report uh, in the Russian language was by far the most popular report we've ever done here, and it showed that there's a real gap and a real need for Russian language evidence-based reporting from a different source than the Russian government. And unfortunately, the situation in Russia today is that many independent Russian news stations can no longer operate. Uh, and in, in this gap, this vacuum of information, uh, Russian audiences only get one point of view. And that is the major reason why RFERLs and VOA's uh, partnership and current time is such an important initiative. And I really commend the, both organizations for pulling this off. Um, and now without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, John Lansing. John is the CEO and director of the Broadcasting Board of Governors, BBG, which oversees all aspects of US international media that of course includes the VOA, Voice of America, and RFERL, Radio Free Europe, uh, Radio Liberty. Uh, so John, it's my pleasure to welcome you. The floor is yours. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to join us for this. Uh, at the BBG, our mission is to inform, engage, and connect with people around the world in service to democracy and freedom. It's work that 3,500 journalists do around the world 24-7, and it's often quite dangerous. I thought I would share this with you today at least 20 people were killed today at a bombing outside the Afghan Supreme Court in Kabul. More than 40 were, were wounded, some critically. And that includes RFERL's Radio Azadi journalist, Mr. Zabi Shafak, who was critically injured in the blast. Mr. Shafak is at a hospital now recovering from surgery. And thankfully, he's conscious and stable. That just serves as a reminder to me and to all of us at the BBG and everybody that this is a noble cause. 
which brings us to the launch of Current Time. Shortly after I joined the BBG in the fall of 15, I set five strategic priorities for the agency. These were the priorities that I felt we needed to meet our mission. That is to maximize the agility, efficiency, and impact of the BBG networks and enable the agency to more effectively address the rapidly evolving global media environment. Those five priorities in brief, number one, was a dramatic shift to social, mobile, and digital platforms. Number two, the enhancement of the strategic cooperation of the five BBG networks and the creation of the International Cooperative Council, which is the leaders of the five BBG networks, working together collaboratively rather than at odds or even at times competitively. Number three, be more targeted with our resources to areas of key strategic importance to US foreign policy, including Russia and the Russian periphery, China and its periphery, Iran, Cuba, and CVE, which is sort of a stateless uh, uh, initiative. Number four, increase the curation of content so that we can have the best use of our resources to get the most and most impactful content on air and on digital platforms. And number five, and perhaps, perhaps most significantly, is to measure our success beyond the reach of our media, but rather in terms of the impact that our media is having on those that it does reach. And I'm proud to tell you that, speaking of reach, over the last year, our media reach globally, worldwide, on a weekly basis grew by 52 million uh, to 278 million around the world on a weekly basis. So I'm delighted and proud also to report that we've made progress on all five of these strategic priorities in the past year. And that brings us here today to current time. Because as current time addresses the needs of Russian speakers in the Soviet space, the former Soviet space, and in Russia and around the world, and it's an opportunity for those Russian-speaking audiences to finally have professional, objective, trustworthy news and information. Current time is professional independent journalism for those looking to broaden their choices in a media space dominated by Kremlin-controlled disinformation and propaganda. Through its fact-based journalism and features, Current Time reflects our profound belief in honest and accurate reporting as the best defense against falsehoods. Current Time is not propaganda, and it is not counter-propaganda. Current time is editorially independent, as are all US in, uh, international media brands. In a global information war zone where fake news and false narratives are the weapon of choice, our work at the BBG will be to continue to invest in and make the top priority the ability to establish and maintain the credibility of our information. In addition to its television content, Current Time responds to another of our strategic priorities, a market-driven shift to digital, social, and mobile platforms. The Current Time Digim team has pioneered the use of social videos with news content with impressive results. In the past year, Current Time social media videos have been viewed more than 160 million times. That tremendous effort 
led by RFERL in cooperation with Voice of America, exemplifies yet another of our strategic priorities, the enhanced cooperation of our entities. This network would not have come together without VOA working with RFERL to make it happen. These two US international media networks have come up with something greater than the sum of their two contributions had they been separate. The new brand began originally as a single program, now a global 24-7 Russian language television and digital network. So thanks to Tom Kent and Amanda Bennett for setting the tone for an unprecedented level of cooperation between two BBG networks. It's a model for what's to come in the future of US international media. The BBG is deeply committed to the current time project and will work to make sure that sufficient resources are available not just to keep it on now, but to maintain it and grow it into the future. And today we formally launched this network. Now what I'd like to show you is a two minute reel that explains the network. And then following that, we'll have a short video that shows the digital expression of the network through one very, very interesting story. But first, take a look at this sizzle reel. In a complicated world, it can be difficult to tell what's real. But Current Time tells it like it is. It's television for Russian speakers worldwide, delivering news our viewers care about, information that stands up to scrutiny. Current Time brings together top journalists from throughout the Russian-speaking world, delivering a fresh alternative to Kremlin-controlled media, with headquarters in Prague and Washington, and more than 100 reporters on the ground in Russia, Ukraine, Central Asia, the Baltics, the United States, and Europe. Current Time serves as a reality check with no fake news or spin. Current Time is on the air 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with new shows for our European and Central Asian audiences, top-of-the-hour headlines, a daily news digest from Washington and New York, a nightly political talk show, the Timor Olevsky Hour, weekend wrap-ups from Washington and Prague, and a weekly analysis, See Both Sides, that helps viewers tell facts from fiction. Available through cable, satellite, IPTV, and online streaming, Current Time reaches a potential audience of 240 million Russian speakers across the globe. And Current Time isn't just TV. Its digital platforms draw more than 160 million views on social media, with more than a quarter coming from inside Russia itself. Current Time is always on the road with shows that bring our viewers new sensations, sights, and ideas. Rarely seen documentaries, unexplored places, and ordinary people standing up to extraordinary circumstances. Risk takers and entrepreneurs building a future for themselves and their communities. This is Current Time's mission. Real news. Real people. In real time. That's Current Time Television. Now, just to help us get started with the upcoming conversation, I want to show you an example of a social uh, digital video that uh, illustrates the corruption within the Moscow police force. Ты не 
безумное помещение. Помещение? Да здесь обычная муниципальная земля. Да не снимал, я сам же. Почему нельзя жить по закону Российской Федерации? Вы сотрудник полиции, не живете по закону Российской Федерации? Здесь камер нет, камер не Я у него сейчас сделал. Вот мне, конечно, не то, как он одного потащили бы. Учили, учили вас. Конечно, осторожно. Что народ, что все заинтересованы. Ну, правильно говорит ты. Флешки призывали, взяли, осмотр произвели, встали в компьютер. Там было видео, допустим, на флешке, там ваши батареи. Так это на утром человек. В интернете есть, у меня же тут есть интернет. Я говорю, я впервые с таким сталкиваюсь. Надо же как-то это, ну что, как-то Imagine that story running on Russian media. Um, that that uh, web video has so far uh, achieved 400,000 plus views. And so with that, I thank you for your attendance and your attention, and I invite my colleagues from the BBG to come on stage. Good afternoon, my name is Melinda Herring and I'm the editor of Ukraine Alert here at the Atlantic Council. If you could please fix the echo, that would be great. <laughs> Thank you. It's, we're delighted to see such a large group of people here today. I'm going to pause and give Avi a, a chance to fix this. Let's try again. Good afternoon, my name is Melinda Herring and I'm the editor of Ukraine Alert here at the Atlantic Council. We're thrilled to have such a large crowd here and we are so lucky to have four top journalists with us here today to tell us more about current time. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Thomas Kent. He is the president of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. 
prior to his appointment as president. He was at the AP for 44 years. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Next is Amanda Bennett, who is the director of Voice of America. And Amanda has worked or edited basically every top paper in America, including the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg News, and the Philly Inquirer. She's also the editor of six books. Welcome, Amanda. Our next panelist is Daisy Sindelar, and she is the director of Current Time. And before she was in this position, you may recognize her name because she wrote for RFERL for many years, and she was one of my favorite feature writers. Welcome, Daisy. No, no pressure. And our uh, final panelist is Irina Van Dusen, who is the director of Voice of America's Russia Service Director. Welcome, Irina. Thank you. So as you can see, we have a very distinguished panel with us here today. You've just seen two clips. And I'm going to turn to Tom and ask him a little bit about our in who's the intended audience behind uh, current time? Y are they young? Are they old? And how are you trying to build trust among your viewers? Uh, we have a pretty open mind, uh, but our goal is to find young viewers uh, and middle-aged viewers who have an open mind about what's going on in Russia, what's going on in the world. We don't view Russians as being uh, totally chained up in their minds to, to official versions of events. There's a lot of curiosity there. Uh, surveys show, Russian surveys show that a number of Russians are not completely satisfied by what they see in Russian news media. Mm -hmm. So we're offering an alternative. We're trying to build trust in a number of ways. Uh, first thing is we do a lot of live, whether it's live translation of uh, uh, US elections, uh, whether it's uh, live coverage of fighting in Ukraine. Uh, live can't be manipulated. So by definition, it has authenticity. We line up a lot of different viewpoints. We line up uh, different strong viewpoints on Ukraine on, on our talk shows. We line up different coverage, US coverage, European coverage, Russian coverage of the same news event for people to make a comparison uh, from one to the other. And then also, we, I think we just try to take a somewhat different tone. Uh, Russian news media quite commonly, they talk really fast. It's, they, they just pound it into you. We try to slow it down a little bit, make it a little more thoughtful, uh, and, and I think that builds authenticity too. Great. Let's turn to Amanda. Amanda, current time is supposed to serve as a reality check to, to Russian disinformation, but we live in a post-fact world now. Isn't it a little naive to think that we can fight disinformation with facts? And what more can be done to fight Russian disinformation? You know, I think I'm going to say something that I think may get a lot of pushback from this room. But I would like to say that I don't believe we're in a post-fact world. I think we've all given up on truth way too easily. And I don't think we've actually given up with truth. We've just kind of mentally assumed this thing. We say post-fact post -fact world, and we say Russians are eating our lunch, and they, you know, we say this. But the fact of the matter is, as, as Tom says, the surveys are showing that the Russian audience is, is not satisfied with their leading. And, and many of you, if you just think about viscerally, you've all had a lot of international experience. I was, I was in China in the early 80s when they were still very, very tightly controlled. And you could see all this stuff there. And sure, you'd find some people there that believed that the peasants were getting so rich that they were feeding their chickens out of Ming bowls. A couple of people believed that. But mostly you got the feeling that people understood that they were being given a line. And I think to assume that the rest of the world is stupid and doesn't understand true things and can't sort out truth or fact. Now, it is very disturbing when we find out that in the United States, people believe such crazy stuff. 
But the fact is, I don't think that makes it a post-truth world. I just think it makes it more difficult to get the truth out. And, and honestly, I think countering a narrative, it's extremely difficult to push back on a narrative. What you do is you give another narrative. And that's what we aim to do, is we don't aim to push back on anything. We say, here's another way of looking at it. And this one, we can show you, is based on fact or reality. Are there particular kinds of genres you think that are more effective? For instance, is satire more effective than just straight reporting? I, I, I actually think that the, the basis of a lot of the best satire, you know, where did my 19-year-old son get his news from? He got it from Jon Stewart. Yeah. But Jon Stewart was an, actually a very accurate reporter of the news. He based his satire in fact. So I'm a big proponent of fact. I think that fact and truth is actually a very powerful thing, not, not the weakling that we all are kind of mentally afraid that, that is out there right now. Daisy, how is this project different from broadcasts that have been done in the past? Is this the first attempt to beam TV into the Russian-speaking space? Um, well, despite RFE, Radio for Europe is a company that really grapples with its name. And uh, despite the fact that we are called Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, we have actually been moving very aggressively into TV and video for about the past 10 years. And VOA's experience with TV goes back even further. So of the 18 language services that we have at RFE, the vast majority of them are already producing daily television content that's either going out online or in partnerships with affiliates. So current time is different in the sense that, well, to start with, it's a 24-7 channel. Um, and the other thing that makes it different is what, whereas uh, the programming that we've done in the past and which continues to be done by the language services is specific, a specific product for a specific national market, mm -hmm. current time is obviously something different. We're reaching out to Russian speakers worldwide. Um, current time is, uh, currently focuses on Russian-speaking audiences in Russia and the Russian periphery, um, but we hope to expand beyond that. Uh, there are an estimated 275 primary, uh, million uh, primary and secondary Russian speakers worldwide. It's one of the most geographically widespread languages, and we would like to tap into all of those markets. I noticed that uh, current time uh, includes Germany and Israel in addition to the former Soviet space. That's interesting. Are there any other plans to expand uh, beyond the current countries you have now? Absolutely. Uh, our, our, the person who handles our distribution talks in terms of worldwide domination. Uh, he's very modest. <laughs> Uh, Arena, I, I know Current Time has a mix of programming. It has a news show, talk shows, it has a travel and even a food show. Uh, which shows are the most popular and how do you gauge the impact of a project like this? Well, uh, I'm here uh, as a representative of uh, Current Time America, part of that channel, which is uh, a live show that we do five times a week, Monday through Friday, and it's a live uh, to satellite, American, uh, focus on America show. So, um, well, it's current affairs show, what's going on in Washington and what's going on in the country. Uh, we are trying to bring um, our viewers the, um, a chance to have a window into American life, thought, and institution. And we try to do it in the most, you know, objective and, and sincere way. Um, 
In order to do that, we expanded our virtual bureaus around the country. Uh, as you understand, probably we focus on America, telling American story as Voice of America, you know, part to that current time channel. So we have virtual bureaus in several cities. Uh, we do live reporting into our live show from Washington. We do live reporting from New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Miami, Dallas. And the plan is to expand and to give uh, the audience a very broad picture of what American society is and what American life and American struggles and American challenges are and uh, how people, you know, true meaning of democracy, how people live in a, you know, civil society. So um, this, is kind of, um, this is kind of our focus. And in terms of um, how we gauge whether it's popular or not, I would say at this point, we have a very strong, like the whole current time channel, we have a very strong digital presence. And that gives us an ability to get some feedback and understand the engagement and understand what people are interested in. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about global kind of surveys of how current time as a channel does, but we can say that um, in terms of the stories that we produce, we noticed as uh, Tom already mentioned that live reporting is really, really popular. Mm -hmm. What we now do a lot is we're expanding into um, live uh, streaming mm -hmm. on the channel and on the website, um, important events with simultaneous mm -hmm. translation, maybe have a little um, analysis uh, after that, but kind of give Russian audiences direct access to the event as it's unfolding with a Russian translation. So they can hear and see for themselves what's going on. I had noticed that Voice of America was using the, the live feature on Facebook more often and, and getting a lot of, of um, interest in that as well. So it's, it's great to see. Inauguration, um, election day, we had five hour live um, broadcast hmm. into the channel and it, it went live on our Facebook page, mm -hmm. our web page, it went live into the satellite. Mm -hmm. Five hours, you know, direct thing with mm -hmm. live acceptance speeches, all that thing. Interactive map, two, you know, anchors in the studio, live from all the cities that I mentioned. So it was like really amazing undertaking for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, five hour live broadcast, that's a big thing. Thing. And we're going to keep doing that. We did inauguration three hours. We're going to do two-hour live um, broadcast for uh, President's speech um, addressing Congress, Congress, which is okay. coming soon. Also the same kind of basic thing, in addition to our daily one-hour show. So Okay, so Arena's going to be very busy. Uh, let's <laughs> go back to Tom for a minute. Tom, why is an independent television station so important in Russia today? Are there any other independent uh, television stations or a radio stations still there? Well, the landscape isn't very rich. Uh, there is a quasi-independent, independent, I guess, uh, television network called TV Rain, mm. uh, TV Deutscht. Uh, that has come under uh, some new restrictions recently on distribution and advertising. So uh, I think they, they try very hard, but they're, they're, they're working in an uneven landscape. There is some radio. Uh, everyone knows uh, Echo Moskvi, mm -hmm. Echo of Moscow Radio. Uh, also has its ups and downs with the authorities, partially owned by Gazprom at the moment. 
Um, there's Novia Gazeta, mm -hmm. uh, probably the most independent newspaper. Uh, there was a, a website, uh, Gazeta Tochkaru, or there still is a website, but most of it's more independent-minded um, editors left the country and, and, and now run their own site, Medusa. So the, um, I think there's plenty of space uh, for a new voice that is truly independent and, and not um, subject to the vagaries of, uh, of ups and downs in Russia. Amanda, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the future of international broadcasting and the new administration? Well, I, I think that the need for international broadcasting is certainly evident, and I think that you know we have been very well treated and very well supported by Congress over the past many, many years, and we think that the combination of, of, of need and support, people will obviously see the value of it, and we are all prepared to grow as much as we possibly can and serve whatever needs we can. We see needs all over the globe that we'd be happy to step in and fill. Great. Daisy, can you talk a little bit about the intended effect of current time? What precisely are you guys trying to achieve uh, with this 24-7 format? And what are you trying to achieve in general? Well, I think this is going to be a short and pretty simple answer because our, our aim is to provide accurate, objective journalism to a Russian-speaking audience whose media options until now have been largely limited to outlets that are either controlled by the Russian government or governments that are loyal to the Russian government. So we are simply trying to provide an additional voice and an objective voice in a media landscape that is fairly barren. Um, we, so what we are delivering is professional, objective journalism. And if we do have a bias, I would say it's the traditional bias that has always been demonstrated in RFERL's work and VOA's work, which is that we promote, we are interested in promoting democracy, rule of law, human <coughs> rights, freedom of speech. So that may, um, it means that we will be covering more heavily stories that fall into that category than perhaps an ordinary news channel. And so the trick of that, of course, is then to deliver entertaining program as, programming as well. Is any of your coverage funny? Yes, we have a lot of funny coverage. In fact, I'm really I'm happy that we were able to have one of our hosts here today, and that's Andrei Cherkasov, who hosts a, uh, a program that's called See Both Sides, and it's a fact-checking program that basically uh, we look at it as a bit of a media literacy project that doesn't sound hilarious, but um, <laughs> his program is, is really fantastic. And what he's doing is demonstrating how um, a certain story can be covered in a wide variety of ways, depending on the country that it's being discussed in or the channel that it's being discussed on. And of course, this is a, a very rich territory for us right now. We can compare how a story is covered in Ukraine versus Russia. We can. Uh, Andre did a lot of work during the U.S. elections looking at how different uh, American channels were covering certain stories. So that's, um, that's one of our funnier programs. We're going to bring Andre into the conversation during our, our Q&A. We have some journalists uh, from current time here with us as well. So uh, we'll bring them into the conversation soon. Uh, Irina, how do you uh, plan to interact with your viewers? How do you know what your viewers want? And will you encourage feedback in any way? Um, of course, um, as, as I started 
talking about that in my previous response. Yeah, well, at this point, we get most of our feedback from social media interactions. Okay. Uh, I mean, people still write letters, believe it or not. We sometimes get uh, envelopes <laughs> from Russia with actual stamps on them, so. <laughs> and written in cursive, <laughs> which is, you know, probably indicate uh, generation, not, not current generation, but those people who grew up when I grew up. Um, but anyway, but yeah, we get, we get a lot of interaction. We get a lot of um, comments. Uh, we get a lot of shares. We, we, we get a lot of uh, negative as well as positive remarks. And it's interesting because one story can create a totally different response from the audience. Some people will think this is a story that demonstrates objectivity and great journalism. Other people think that this story demonstrates some fake news and alternative reality. And some people think it demonstrates the hand of State Department or whatever it is. There are different, different reactions from, from the audience. But overall, I would say that there is a, a kind of a positive feedback we get for the current time section of, of what we do because we post it online, we post it on Facebook, we post it on our website, we do little segments, you know, outreach segments. So um, this is the way we gauge audience right now. But I believe in the future, there'll be surveys, there'll be standard metrics that people, you know, can, you know, go through like Gallup polls or whatever, sure. polling, sure. Uh, you know, focus groups sure. and sure. stuff like that, that would give us uh, um, and an uh, opportunity to look into like more direct and precise um, uh, metrics on what audience is interested in and what it is expecting from us. Mm -hmm. Great. Daisy, how are you guys creating a buzz about uh, current time? Do you guys do Facebook advertising? Uh, do you do any kind of advertising? Uh, do you have people stand outside metro stations? How are ordinary Russian speakers going to uh, hear about your station? Well, uh, we haven't really begun advertising in earnest. That's something that's going to start now, basically, with the hard launch. Two things that we're doing in the near future that we're really excited about is we're going to take one of our nightly political talk shows, uh, which is called the Timor Alevsky Hour. Um, this is a, a nightly show that's hosted by a journalist um, who came to us from TV Rain who's very well known and respected both in Russia and Ukraine. Um, and he's, he was used to being out in the field. And he, um, we, we dragged him to Prague and made him wear a tie. And now he's on television and uh, seems to like it OK, but really wants to get back out into the action. So over the next month, we're planning to have him host two of his shows, not from Prague, but one in Kiev and one in Moscow. Mm. And we really are using those shows as an opportunity to drum up local excitement with two audiences that are very important to us. Great. Amanda, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the kind of programming that uh, Russian speakers are interested in? We know that Russians are fed a constant diet of lies, half-truths, disinformation. What are they interested in? You know, I think it would, again, surprise people in this room to realize that Russian speakers as well, and, and not just Russian speakers, but people around the globe actually are extremely interested in the United States. Mm -hmm. They're extremely interested in what goes on here. And uh, as, as both Daisy and, and, and Irina have pointed out, uh, you know, they live among American products, among American videos, among American, uh, you know, Gadgets. Uh, gadgets, yeah. And so they're extremely interested in them. And Tom can talk about some of the programming that they're most interested in, but, but Voice of America has two missions. 
two very distinct missions. One is to provide objective, truthful, neutral uh, news and information to places that don't have any other access to it, Russia and the Russian periphery check. And the other one is to tell America's story. And so we focus on the part of America's story that we know people are already interested in. So we're not trying to push anything uphill. We're trying to feed a, a demand. And, and that would be health and medicine, education, and you know how, how could I possibly get into an American college, um, technology and entrepreneurship. And then most of all, which, which is where we get a certain richness from this, is the American diaspora. Because what people really want to know is, how are people like me doing in your country? How can they tell us the story? And, and we find that those stories actually are much, they find them much more trustworthy because they're coming from people whose perspective they can understand. I mean, Tom, uh, Daisy, I'm sure you have uh, comments about other kinds of programming that people like. But that's, that's my impression, Arena's impression of the fact that we're not pushing this on people. People actually like it. Can I, can I add one thing? Um, I think Amanda is absolutely correct that um, our audience is, is fascinated by what's going on in the United States. I think a really interesting discovery for us has been that they're also very interested in each other and what's happening in their own countries. Um, one of the shows that we consider especially successful on our end is called Unknown Russia. And it's a show that will travel to very unexplored pockets of Russia uh, not in pursuit of unique scenery or landscapes, but to find people who are really doing extraordinary things to survive life in a country where very often people who aren't in the federal center are isolated, <laughs> living on the margins. And they're remarkable human portraits that I think are interesting to any audience. And what we've been very uh, excited to see is that, one, the show is getting excellent feedback from inside Russia. Ordinary Russians are really interested in learning about the lives of these other Russians inside the country. Uh, the second interesting thing is that the show is doing very well in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten feedback where Ukrainians are saying it is so refreshing to see something that gives us an honest assessment of ordinary people who are living just across the border from us. Um, and so I think that the show is, is really a remarkable accomplishment. And by <coughs> extension, I think what we're seeing with our, our, our social videos and things like that is that ordinary human beings are very compelling viewing. And that shows how rare it is in the Russian media landscape and how really interesting and compelling it is for our audience. <coughs> Tom, what does the Kremlin think of you or, or Russian state TV? Well, um, there have been some unfriendly documentaries uh, about uh, current time, but it's been a while uh, so far, and uh, we, we know that they watch us. Uh, we know they watch us at a very high level, uh, and we, again, you know, our, our, our focus is on our mission, not on anyone's reaction to it. It probably means more viewers, too. It probably does, uh, and we'll go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, 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 go. Uh, I was just going to ask you, I have to ask you the elephant uh, in the room question. Uh, many Russians get their news from TV, and many Russians say that they don't, they told Levada that they don't trust that news. Uh, Russians are suspicious in general. How can viewers be sure uh, that the information that they receive is objective if the funding is coming from the U.S. government? Well, uh, several things. First of all, uh, television or radio being supported by state funds is not a shock to most Russians or most Europeans. It's, it's, it's common throughout the world. Mm -hmm. 
Um, second thing is that our money comes from Congress, uh, which, as you know, has some diversity in its points of view uh, about the world. It goes from the Congress to the BBG and then to me and Amanda uh, for, for current time. And we are, under law, the ones who make the decisions on the editorial policy. So uh, we do have that, that insulation. And then beyond that, you know, it's going to survive and it's going to get credibility on the basis of what people see. Mm. And if people see that our coverage of Russia, for example, rings true to them, and what we have in our Baltic show really is what life is like for them in the Baltics and Georgia and so forth, they will, they will believe it. And if they hear um, Russians in the United States talking about life in the United States for them, that has an authentic ring too. So it's, I mean, all, all these things are true about our funding and our structure and our firewalls that, that guard us from government interference. But ultimately, the proof is going to be in what a good job we do for our audience and what they can perceive about its honesty. Uh, Amanda, uh, let me bring you into this question. Uh, in, in 2016, Current Time massively expanded to a 24-7 format. Where did you get the additional uh, funding, and what could you do with an additional $25 million? <laughs> um, we, we were the money was appropriated. We put together a plan, and the money was appropriated to us. And um, honestly, Tom, Rita, we, we could all come up with things we could do mm -hmm. with additional funding. We've got six hours of live programming now. We can expand the number of programming. We can expand the number of bureaus in the United States. We can expand the number of bureaus. Uh, most of our, our costs, you know, we use very low-cost distribution methods. We, we share, we share, uh, uh, we appear on, on existing <coughs> networks out there, and we also use very inexpensive uh, digital transmission. So most of our costs come down to people and the ability of people to create, to, to report and create the news. So if anybody were to offer us a spare 25 million, we would not turn it down. We would put it to good use now. Uh, okay. And Daisy, did you want to jump in at all? Oh, I just wanted to add that one of the things that we would really like to spend that $25 million on that we're imagining right now is breaking news. Okay. Um, because just as, by extension um, from what everyone has pointed out about the, the, the vitality and the importance and the immediacy of our live coverage, um, we would really like to expand the amount of breaking news that we're able to cover. Uh, we have about 100 correspondents in the field right now, so we have a, an excellent team that's ready to go and with the proper infrastructure and equipment, I think that we could really be a very dynamic breaking news presence on the ground in a place where you're not getting a huge amount of breaking news. Daisy, can you explain something that Amanda just said? So this is a 24-7 production, right? Mm -hmm. But you only have six hours of original content. Uh, where are you getting the, the other 18 hours? Um, the, uh, the other 18 hours are coming to us from a variety of sources. So we, some of it is coming from our RFERL's language services, from our Russian, Ukrainian, and Moldovan services who are doing content in Russian that we can use for our channel. This is very important for us because it includes special programming for Crimea, uh, programming about Donbass. Um, and we also work with production companies in the field that come to us through affiliate relationships. So we have two shows in particular called, one is called Baltic Weekly. It's a weekly news digest from Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania. Obviously, this is a very strategically important region for us now. Um, and we have a show that comes out of Ukraine about 
business startups that's called Business Plan. Um, and these are partnerships that we really are trying to nurture and develop because there are excellent production companies working in the field, in the, the countries that we broadcast to, and we look at ourselves as a nice opportunity for them to work with a channel with a large and diverse audience that is completely beyond the control of Moscow influence. I know I'm only the moderator, but if there uh, was an additional pot of money for international broadcasting, I love your, your, your program schemes. Uh, I follow Ukraine on a day-to-day -day basis, and your reporting makes a huge difference in Ukraine. Um, and it forces other outlets that may not have covered a particular um, investigation because it's politically dicey for a number of reasons. It forces them to report on it. So I think that the schemes is an incredible program. Uh, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, well, let, let I just want to say Schemes is available on current time. Yes. Very so, good. Okay. And, and, and let's just note that the, uh, the very courageous journalists who do Schemes are under frequent death threat on social networks. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, this is not uh, uh, just uh, you know, doing a show without consequences. They, it, it, is a, uh, it, it is dangerous and important work they're doing. Do you, do you want to describe uh, schemes a little bit more? Uh, it's, it's an investigative show, uh, and it looks into government corruption, uh, 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 and, uh, above all, uh, other, other kinds of corruption uh, in Ukraine. And uh, it uh, makes, makes some people uncomfortable. Okay, now we are going to give you all a chance to talk to our distinguished panel, as well as uh, some current time journalists who are with us here today. If I could ask you to raise your hand if you'd like to ask a question, but here's the deal. You need to wait for a microphone. You need to tell us who you are and who, uh, who you're affiliated with, and you need to ask a question, please. So uh, if you have a microphone, uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand. Uh, Amanda, um, what you're in Russian language now, and you've got 40-something others for Voice of America. Are you going to expand in different languages? Soon? I don't know that we've talked about expanding in different languages soon. For, you mean on, on, you on talk current time? Or? Yeah. For current time? I mean, current, the, the purpose of current time is to be a Russian language. Okay, but. But are you like, talking about doing a 24 7 in some other language, like a 24 7 Chinese or 24 /7? Possibly, yeah. You know, I think we've, we're not have any active plan right now to, to do anything like that. This is a pretty big undertaking, and I think I we understand. need to digest it before we move on. Right, thank you. Hi, my name is Andrei Sitov. I'm with TASS, the Russian news agency. I just wanted, since you already talked a little bit about this, about the uh, budgeting and staffing and all of that, uh, could you explain a little bit more about uh, how you are budgeted uh, currently and maybe prospectively and how many people you have working on the project, things like that? Thanks. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't quite understand the question. Give us, give us a little more detail on the, the budget and our staffing and how, how our budget is distributed. Well, there are probably uh, about 100 people, all told, who are involved in, uh, in, in current time at the moment. Uh, the uh, uh, part of the, uh, the, 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 the center is in Prague. We have a substantial operation in Washington uh, and correspondence out through, throughout the area. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's a struggle. Uh, with, with, with this amount of money to operate. What is the and the amount of money is? I'm sorry, didn't I say that? 20, Wait, about, about 22 million. million. About 22 million. So uh, uh, total, total. Uh, 22 million for the current fiscal year. 
Well, that's that, getting complicated because yeah. we're under a continuing resolution. That, but it's supposed to be 22 million. Put so, it that yeah. way. Yeah. But it's 22 million for 24/7. That, I mean, that's a very, that's a very good deal, frankly. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. Um, Eric McGlinchey, the gentleman sitting down with spiky hair. Yep. Hi, Eric McGlinchey, uh, spiky hair, George Mason University. Um, I was curious about your comment that the only way to uh, <clears throat> push back against uh, one narrative is to offer an alternative narrative. Uh, and I was wondering if you could give us a concrete example where you've actually done that. Actually, I, could, I, I can give you an example, but not out of current time in the Russian language, because the freshest one in my head is from a different, a different language. And um, we have a, a very uh, entrepreneurial Cambodian reporter who, ca carrying all these little Teradex and a cell phone, basically broadcast you know, TV from, from, from just standing around by himself off of, off of his computer. And he covered both the Democratic and the Republican convention by himself, just running around doing doing interviews. And I don't know if you remember, the Republican convention was really quite tense. Tense. There was, there were, I, I was there. That the streets were just filled with police. When there were lots of protesters, lots of pro-gun, lots of anti-gun, lots of kind of people coming at each other and chanting at each other. And he was covering that. He wrote this. He, he visualized, visualized the whole thing. And I thought that what he was showing Cambodia was. Oh, you know, this is kind of this is kind of sticky. This is kind of ugly. People are people are kind of kind of shouting at each other. Instead, then we woke up in the morning. The the comments on his cast were, "Look at the police. They are keeping the protesters apart from each other. They're mm -hmm. keeping the protesters safe." Um, this would never happen in Cambodia. If they were in Cambodia, and this is my favorite comment, they would they would have men and dogs to beat and bite them. So we were exporting something we didn't know we were exporting. We were, we were exporting an underlying narrative that we weren't even saying. Had we tried to show that narrative, oh, you there in Cambodia, you guys have you know, this kind of a thing, and we have this, I don't think it would have worked at all. I think it would have been pushed back on. But this was, this was completely unconscious. Well, I think in the CT context, we could talk about Ukraine that there are lots of uh, narratives about what's going on in Ukraine. And we have tried to, um, uh, we've, we've tried to convey what is going on, not by attacking anybody else, but simply by uh, having our own reporters on the scene doing direct reporting um, with the voices of local people in a credible way that rings true to our subscribers, to our, to our listeners uh, in Ukraine uh, and in the Donbass as much as they do to the rest of the Russian-speaking world. Are you one of the current time journalists? Yes. Uh, could we have the microphone, please? Thank you. Uh, would you mind standing up and introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, um, you can come up here, too. Yeah, come okay. to the light. Uh, so my name is Andrei Cherkasov. I host a weekly show called uh, See Both Eyes. Uh, and uh, the concept of the show is basically footage versus footage. It's, uh, it's not a new concept, and it's a successful concept uh, when you have an open war conflict. You have cameramen on both sides of the front line, and you can see this event or this tragedy from both sides. But what do you do when it's a hybrid war or informational war that we're facing now. The footage is the same on both sides. It's what you do with the footage, how you twist it, how you turn it, how you manipulate it. You don't need to have, you don't need to 
tell lies all the time. You just can do half truth, and that will work. So uh, this is what we do uh, in our weekly show. Uh, an example, um, a prominent uh, TV host uh, for RTR channel, uh, a weekly show, Dmitry Kisilov, he, uh, he showed a document. I don't know if you're familiar with the situation. It's a, it was a, it's a called um, a World War II uh, Nazi document that he said is authentic. And uh, the reason he showed it, so he made a comparison. He said that uh, what the United States is doing to Ukraine now is the same what the Nazi Germany did to Ukraine in the Second World War. Uh, so he needed to illustrate this argument by showing this document. And it turned out to be fake. He bought it in uh, like a memorabilia or uh, in, in, a, in a souvenir shop. It is completely fabricated. Everything, uh, the photos were, sh uh, were fake, the quotes were fake. Everything about this document is not truth. So we caught him red-handed with this. Uh, we made a social video. Uh, we posted it online. It got more than a half a million, or maybe almost, it, a million. Uh, almost a million views. And the guy at the end admitted that it was a fake. He didn't apologize for that. It's not his style. But he admitted that it was a fake. And, it, and it's OK you know, for, for him to do that. So another example, um, uh, a story coming up from Berlin. Uh, I think it's in the beginning of uh, last year, again, with uh, a story that in, uh, instigated uh, unrest among the Russian-speaking community that uh, a refugee raped a, a Russian girl mm -hmm. there. So we, you know the story as well. It turned out to be not true. Uh, so we, and these kind of stories, they come up every, every week. You know, it can be US elections, uh, can be NATO expansion, uh, and now it's a refugee crisis, and we're looking forward, and it's already started, the upcoming elections in Netherlands, France, Germany, Czech Republic, you name it. So it's happening on a massive scale. It's an avalanche of fake news and manipulations. Thank you. Would you also like to say? No. no. Okay, uh, Ariel Cohen right here. Ariel Cohen, the Atlantic Council. I'm a also full disclosure weekly commentator on current time. Um, we have now an interesting political season here. Uh, for example, uh, I was in Russia. I came back uh, 10 days ago. Uh, and the Russians now cannot understand, including in the media, how come a judge in America dares to defy a sitting president and uh, annul his or avoid his um, executive order? They, they don't understand that. It's, it's a window of opportunity. Uh, they refer today on Russian television to an article in foreign policy as an article in American official uh, media. Uh, so how would current times, and more broadly, VOA and BBG, cover the presidency right now. Thank you. Can I, just, can I just hand the, the microphone to Alan? Because he's got an answer to at least one of these questions about how a, a judge could, could uh, you know, define us. Could, could you introduce yourself? Right. Come up here, please. Right. I'm Alan Latishuma. I'm a digital editor, managing editor for the Voice of America Eurasia division that covers Russia. Um, what we try to do, we put a lot of truth in our broadcast. We believe that, as Amanda said earlier, we should not give up on truth. And that applies to stories that we put out regarding American life, thought, and institutions. 
We have covered a lot of these events that were misreported, if you wish, in some of the Russian media. And when we send a reporter to Charlotte uh, to cover the protests live, that's where I started to notice in, in the comment section when people, when, we would do, when Roman would do the live on the Charlotte protests, that actually people were coming, oh my God, it's not that police and demonstrators are somehow fighting every single day because he would be walking together on the street with protesters and the police and have them talk to each other and he was trying to provide a simultaneous translation in Russian. So the stories that we tell and the stories that grow audience, like we had about 1.2 million um, uh, engagement actions every week on the Russian f Facebook page only, and there's like about like 20% of those are shares. That shareability of the content is actually ultimate sign of credibility in this digital age that we're living in. So we're looking at that, people sharing our content saying this content is credible. Our stories are not about perfect American democracy. You don't find stories on Russia today, unfortunately, about Russia that doesn't function. On our uh, programming, you're going to find a lot of stories about how America is not perfect democracy. It's imperfect democracy. But it, it, it is imperfect except for the, all the others, as Churchill used to say. And, and I think that's an important point that we should be making all the time. And I think uh, a lot of these stories where people would find out that we um, talk about President Trump. He issues executive order, we report on what he has issued. The next day, you have a judge saying what it is. But like, you have to tell that the system of checks and balances works in America, regardless of whether that was a Trump or was Obama before him. We had a lot of these things. We introduced like a little short digital segment last year called Lexicon, just to introduce the American political jargon that is in use in Russian language. And we had a tremendous feedback from people on things that were like, what, what, is, what, what is libertarian? Who is libertarian? What is the blue dog Democrat? A lot of these things that kind of people just swing in in the Russian-like language and then like they don't explain. So we ran this and we got a tremendous amount of engagements on these kind of little things that like people were looking at. Would any of the other current time journalists like to answer this question? No? Amanda, did you want to? Did you want to? Oh, please, please go ahead. You know, I think that uh, Trump represents a real opportunity for us in certain ways because he is a really fascinating person for people in our region. And to a certain degree, I think I'm not speaking out of turn when I say that he is a surprising person to come to the presidency for many Americans, but as a political figure, he's less surprising to people in Russia and elsewhere who are used to these kinds of personalities to a certain degree. Um, Irina mentioned that we had live programming of the inauguration, which in fact gave us a big spike in our audience that day. We had live programming the following day of the protests, mm -hmm. and I think that was equally interesting for our audience. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I would just say that, I don't know if you hear me. Uh, we continue to cover this presidency as, you know, as we cover everything that's happening in the United States. It's actually uh, true that um, uh, and everything we put out about current administration and developments and, and this whole struggle in, the, in this, you know, between the branches of the government, not struggle, but kind of a, the way they work, uh, check and balances and stuff. We have a lot of uh, interested and interesting responses from our audiences. Uh, we put out, like every Saturday, for example, the, um, the, uh, the statement that president puts out. You know, now it's a video. It used to be radio, now it's video. We, 
we give it uh, the translation, we post it on Facebook, we post it on our you know, page. Uh, good numbers, people are interested, people are commenting. So basically it gives us an opportunity to explain a lot about American society. For example, um, a lot of people now are praising us for um, you know, for reporting on, uh, on, a, on a, you know, great president and, you know, how we um, uh, give the, you know, the full, the full picture of what's going on and so forth. But at the same time, our reporters, besides reporting on that, we also report on protests, on how, you know, um, it, it spark, sparks everywhere all over the country. We have reporters going. And what I wanted to say is that actually building you know, trustworthy anchors like those live shows that we have. We have anchors that uh, talk to audiences every day. We have reporters who go live and they go live on Facebook. They build audience and I think even their faces and their presence uh, for a lot of people means trustworthy news. You know what I mean? It's their personality out there. Their faces, their personalities, their whole careers, their whole personas are out there. So uh, that's important too. And they go and they cover uh, briefings, State Department briefings or White House briefings. They go cover protests. They cover, you know, discussions like we're having now and so forth. That, that, that gives, I think, that gives audience the feeling that they're dealing with, you know, serious, trustworthy, fact-based journalism. Irina, while I have you here, could you introduce the other faces from current time? Uh, Absolutely, yes. I would like, I'm very happy to introduce Yulia Savchenko. She is the host of our um, Saturday show, which is called Current Time Itogi, Настоящее Время Итоги, where uh, she is the author and the host of that show. And that's every Saturday, uh, you can see, on Current Time channel and on our um, uh, page and then uh, Glenn Cates, uh, managing editor for digital. So Glenn is the one who is responsible for the video that you saw at the beginning of the um, the the sort of corrupt police encounter, and that that digital platform is extremely important for us in terms of. Uh, it's really our best springboard for reaching a Russian audience. We have good television <coughs> exposure in all the rest of our countries. Russia is a little bit tougher, uh, but digitally we're really able to reach and engage with a Russian audience in a way that's measurable and, uh, and quite exciting. No, I'm sorry, there's too many people who'd like to ask one question. Lucas, if you could go to the lady in the second row with the scarf on. Thank you. I'm Elaine Sereo. I'm the Associate Rector of uh, WIUU, uh, Wisconsin International Ukraine University in Kiev, Ukraine. And I, I'm so thrilled, I have to say, of, of being here for this presentation and for the, uh, at the commencement of the uh, uh, current time. I have a question because of the point you made that truth oversha overshadows falsehoods. Uh, how will you be able, I hope, to be able to see how you monitor the excellent presentation of truth, uh, particularly to counter the constant, not only disinformation, but uh, fake news and fake facts coming out of uh, 
Russian-generated communications, particularly RT, which presents an awful lot of fake news. Thank you. Well, I think, I think our, our CEO, John Lansing, who you saw at the beginning here, when he came in, one of the things he promised was that we were going to figure out how we really look at and measure our impact. And so it's a little early for us to be doing um, you know, actual polling numbers. But, but, but one of the things you see is that people say that they find our content credible. And what's more, in, in the, in the uh, internet world, you can actually kind of sense what people feel is reliable because, because of how often they share it. People don't share things they don't find reliable. And I think, I think you've got some thoughts about how, how kind of reliable and authoritative people feel. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fact is that the, uh, we, we, we are, we're, we're very convinced that the, that, the, that the Russian audience and the audience in, in, in all this uh, periphery of Russia um, are open to new ideas. Uh, we, we, we just uh, refuse to accept the idea that this audience is, uh, uh, is totally cowed uh, and lost all, all creativity, all, all curiosity. I've done four Q&As with Russian students in the, past, uh, uh, in, in the past year or two. And in every case, even though they were well-versed on the official version of things, you could see that they were, they were asking me, about the official version with an idea of, is, is that really true? Uh, they, were, they were watching my face. How would I react? Did I, would I really agree that the CIA loaded up uh, a plane full of bodies and flew it over Ukraine and then had the American Air Force shoot it down to make the Russian separatists look bad? The, and, and so it was completely obvious from these interactions that there's a lot of curiosity out there that we can work with. Great, let's take some more questions. If I could take the, uh, the lady in the fourth row back. Thank you. Um, my name is Maria Androhema, and I'm from Estonian Public Broadcasting. Um, there's a television channel in Estonia for uh, Russian audiences there called DTV+, which is part of Estonian Public Broadcasting. Is there any cooperation planned with ETV+, or or uh, channels like that, because um, a lot of the programming seems quite alike, or a lot of the ideas that I've heard today. Thank you. That is such a specific yeah. question, yeah. and it is the second time I've been asked it today. Um, <laughs> so, um, Do you have a better answer the second time? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, no, um, because I suspect that we probably do uh, share some journalists with them. We have a production team, as I mentioned, that produces the show called Baltic Weekly that's based primarily in Riga, but obviously they're traveling and working with journalists in all three countries. Um, so I can't say specifically what our relationship is with that channel. Um, but even, you know, we work with a number of affiliates in a lot of countries, and of course there's going to be crossover and cross-pollination. We uh, produce shows that are uh, shown not only on current time, but on affiliates that are working in cooperation with our language services. So even if a message is, uh, even if we're duplicating efforts to a certain degree, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if it results in good, good programming for the Russian-speaking minority in Estonia and in the Baltics. We have a question right here. Uh, gentleman in the blue shirt. 
Hi, my name is Dimitri. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a few very short questions. The first one is, how do you approach controversial subjects like Crimea or the homosexuality law in Russia? Do you have a concrete stance on it or is it just reporting? The other one is, uh, do you face any legal restrictions on what you can broadcast in Russia or any restrictions at all? And then the last question is, do you so have... Sorry, sorry. This, 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 sorry. Is, this is very short. Sorry. Yes or no. Sorry. Yes or no. Do you have Could a you business please? economics program that focuses on business or economics? Daisy spoke to our business yeah. economics. We have a business economics right. program. So yes, we have. Yes. Uh, do we have any restrictions coming from the Russians on the content of our programs? No. Uh, what was the other one? About Crimea. We cover it like any other, any other news. Uh, it's, 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 it's pretty straightforward. Well, I, I think it's worth pointing out with Crimea in particular that we observe the the. The policy of RFP and of, of VOA is that Crimea remains a part of Ukrainian territory, and we cover it accordingly. Okay, easy enough. Uh, let's take one from the lady in back, Anastasia, and then uh, the lady in red and the lady with the hand. We're going to do three at once. And, then <laughs> and I'm going to let you out a few minutes okay. early. Thank you. Um, I'm Anastasia. I'm an independent analyst. And I was just wondering, I heard what you all were saying about telling America's story. And it seems to me we've lost the art of doing that at home. Do you all have any thoughts about how we can make the case for liberal democracy with comparisons that speak for themselves here? You know, I'm so glad you said that because I, I came from, as you say, I came from a long career in American media and I felt exactly the same way. I felt you came to Voice of America and all of a sudden you have this tremendous opportunity to see the United States as the best beat you have ever covered. And, and honestly, I think we are developing you know, good, good muscle to do that in a way that I think you're absolutely right, it's not being done. And we have a huge advantage, which is we've got 47 language services, meaning that people are, from these language services are looking at the United States like a foreign correspondent. So they're seeing things that you're not seeing. And so they are seeing things in a lively and interesting way. And I think that we're going to be able to draw on that. And one of the things that we're doing right now is we're restructuring Voice of America right now so that we can pull co the content that's being done in our language services into English so we can share it across language services and, and bring it into English so you can see it. I, I think you're completely right. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for us. You heard it here at the Atlantic Council. Uh, the lady uh, in red and, no, okay. This is our final question. I'm just wondering what kind of data, if any, uh, Congress requires you to submit in terms of demonstrating the impact, a return on investment, so to speak. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Could we bring the microphone uh, to John, please, in the front row? The, uh, the Congress requires that we submit an annual PAR report, performance account accountability. We, we do that, we take it very seriously, and uh, what we've done recently is we've added to our own set of responsibilities a new impact model to measure our success. Up until now, our success has been measured by the audiences we reach in numbers. And while we've had a successful story to tell in audience reach, we now are taking it beyond audience reach to include impact measurements. An impact measurement might be something as simple as content that is shared, uh, content that is used to create a conversation somewhere else, um, content that is brought in from um, a citizen journalist and makes it onto one of our networks. 
anything that shows how we're t using the investment from Congress to help advance the mission of the BBG beyond just reaching an audience. Thank you all so much for coming out today. Would you please help me thank our panelists and our current time journalists who are here with us.